0: Okay, so that was session one, and hopefully that's just kind of, I know it's a bit of a heavy one, but that actually kind of lays a foundation, but I think unless we go back to Adam and Eve and understand how it was and how it was supposed to be, we've really got no idea and won't be able to understand, in a way, how we're supposed to be now, and kind of understand the nature, really, of mankind's problems. So well done, that was a much longer talk, this one will be shorter, about 20-25 minutes. So let's maybe come back to that question that we just started to look at last time. Who, who are we? Who am I now? Who am I in a way deep down? Well, Ephesians 2 verse 3 says that at one time we were by nature objects of God's wrath. In other words, we were offensive to God and we couldn't do anything about it. But the wonderful news is at the moment we became Christians, everything changed for us. And the Bible puts it as starkly as this in 2 Corinthians verse 5. If anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone is a Christian, that phrase in Christ is basically the New Testament's way of saying if anyone's a Christian, if anyone's given their life to Jesus and all he did on the cross, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. Now let me ask you a question. Can you be partly old and partly new? Some people are nodding. You won't be nodding by the time I finish this section. No. The Bible says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord's. Can you be both light and darkness? The Bible says he has rescued us, that's Jesus, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Can you still be in both kingdoms? See, the fact is, that in answer to the question, who am I now, if we are in Christ, we are saints, we are not sinners. If I asked you to raise your hand, if I said something like, you know, would you describe yourself as a sinner saved by grace, some of you might stick your hands up and say, yeah, I think that's what I am. But you know, Romans 5 verse 8 says this, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which tends to imply That we are no longer sinners. We were sinners. We were saved by grace. But we are no longer sinners. And if we're no longer sinners, then what are we? See, the New Testament, when it talks about people that don't believe in Jesus, it identifies them as sinners. That's the New Testament term for people that don't believe in Jesus. They're sinners. And yet, when the New Testament talks about Christians... It talks about holy ones, righteous ones, saints. 300 times it talks about sinners. 200 times it talks believers as being holy ones, righteous ones, saints. See, the amazing truth is that when you and I gave our lives to Jesus, we didn't become forgiven sinners, but we became redeemed saints. That's what you and I are. We are holy ones. We are righteous ones. And those are not just titles like you have in some businesses, you know, second chief corporate director productivity, la la la, just stick a name tag on the door. This is who we are. This is the reality. The moment we became Christians, we became new creations in Christ. We cannot be partly old creation and partly new creation. We can't be partly light and partly darkness. We can't be partly in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the sun that he loves. Our very nature, who we are deep down, changed from being someone who in a sense couldn't help but displease God and be objects of his wrath to being those who were loved by God significant accepted by him the moment we became new creations. One person put it like this. They said, I used to think of myself as a filthy dog who'd put a white coat on. I knew I was kind of covered in Christ's righteousness, but deep down I still believed I was an abomination to God. But now I'm starting to realize that I've actually become a clean dog. We are righteous through and through. Do you know, when God looks on you and me, he smiles. He loves us. He doesn't see kind he doesn't look at doesn't look at me and kind of somehow mystically see Jesus' good work and life covering me and somehow the Dale Barlow that's underneath this wonderful white coat that Jesus puts around me God's not somehow kind of fooled into not really understanding how bad I am or was or not seeing the real me and so he kind of loves us in our ignorance and all that kind of rubbish. When God looks at us he sees new creations thoroughly changed Holy, righteous, through and through. Well, I think it's good news anyway. The newest Christian is a saint. The newest Christian is a righteous one. The newest Christian is a holy one. Because that term describes our new identity and position in Christ. It's nothing to do with our maturity as a Christian nothing to do with our maturity as a Christian. It's simply a recognition that we now have God's Holy Spirit living inside of our spirits. We're reconnected to him and God loves us as children. The newest believer from the moment they get saved has fundamentally changed. See, we're not just forgiven, but we're a whole new person. And changed behaviour comes from realising that you are a whole new person, a whole new creation. If you think of yourself as a forgiven sinner, but still fundamentally a sinner, then what you're likely to do is to carry on sinning. If you want to change behaviour, you have to see yourself as more than just forgiven. Let me read you a story. Suppose you're a prostitute, and you found out one day that the king had issued a decree saying that all prostitutes were forgiven. That's good news, you're forgiven. But if that's all the decree said, would it change how you saw yourself? No. You're still a prostitute. Would it change your behaviour? Probably not. But what if the decree said that the king not only forgave you, but wanted you as his bride, wanted to make you queen? Would that change how you saw yourself? Of course. I am the queen. Would it change your behaviour? Of course. Why ever would I want to go back to the life i had now that i am the queen see we're not only forgiven but we are the bride of christ we are a whole new person and often our understanding of the gospel tends to concentrate on the first part which is that jesus christ died for our sins but the problem with that is that it leaves us believing that we're not very different than who we were than before Except that we're forgiven and we're going to be with Jesus when we die. But the truth is much, much, much greater than that. Just remember, we said our biggest problem that we're born spiritually dead because of sin. Now suppose you came across a dead man and you wanted to save him. There are two things you'd have to do. Firstly, you'd have to find the cure for the disease that caused him to die. And Paul says the wages of sin is death. In our case, in mankind's case, the disease was sin. And to cure it, Jesus had to go to the cross. He literally had to die for our sins. But then you'd have to find a cure. Once you'd found a cure for the problem, you would have to find a way of bringing the man back to life so you could use the cure that you'd found. And that verse in Romans 6, verse 23, goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we only know the truth that Jesus died to cure the problem of sin, we can only believe that we are forgiven sinners. If that's as far as our understanding goes, Jesus came to die for my sins. The best, the only way that we will see ourselves is as forgiven sinners. But if we can know and understand the full story that actually Jesus came to restore that life, that spiritual connection which Adam lost, and that now we're saints, that piece of information is absolutely crucial if we're going to be able to live a life that honours God. If we don't know that truth... Trust me, our behaviour will never really change that much from how we behaved before we became a Christian. You see, defeat comes from not realising that you are a whole new Christian. If you show me a defeated Christian, I bet you a pound to a penny that this is the truth that they don't know or understand. Because Satan can't do anything to change the truth of who you and I now are as children of God. There is nothing that he can do. But if he can get us to believe a lie about who we are, or about who God is, then he can cripple our walk with God. Because no one can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent about what they believe about themselves. Let me give you some examples of that. The truth is that no child of God is inferior or useless. But if Satan can get you to believe that you are, then that's what you'll believe, and that's what you'll feel, and that is how you will act. No child of God is dirty or abandoned. You're new creations, you're washed white. But if Satan can get you to believe that you are, then that's how you will act. So many Christians never get hold of the fact that we're forgiven once and for all. And that God says he will never condemn us. He will never condemn us. But he welcomes us into his presence because he loves us. And you might say, but now you don't know what's been done to me. And I don't know what's been done to you in your past. But you know, nothing that's been done to you changes the fact of who you are in Christ. And you might say, but you don't know what I've done, the things that I've done how bad they are but the fact is that nothing that you've done changes who you are now in christ you might say but you don't know the failures that i've had since i've been a christian but it doesn't change who you are in christ if jesus loved you and i when we were sinners do you think he's going to stop loving us now that we're saints you might say but what about the future things my future sins Well, I have news for you, and that's Jesus died 2,000 years ago. Every one of our sins was future, when you take it from that point of view. God knows them all. Time is no issue to him. And some Christians wrongly think they might get proud if they kind of believed all these things about themselves. But this new identity of ours, we didn't earn it. It was a gift. It was by the grace of God alone. And God in his amazing grace. He simply wants us to respond in faith by believing what he said and what he's done for us. In fact, if you take it the other way around, if God has said that we are now all these things, by not choosing to believe them, we are simply calling God a liar. We were never saved by how we behaved, were we? We were never saved by how In fact, our behaviour was the thing that got us to realise that we had a problem. We were never saved by how we behaved, but we were saved by what we believed. We believed in what Jesus had done. And by faith we asked him in. We put our trust in him. It was by what we believed. And this course is not about learning to behave differently. But it is very much about learning to believe differently. To make sure that what we believe lines up with the truth as God says it. Because when those two things happen, it equals freedom. So being pleasing to God. Let's just deal with then what's probably going through all your minds is, okay, that's great, Dale, but then what happens when we do go wrong? See, the problem about seeing yourself as a saint rather than a sinner is that we know we do things wrong. We know that we sin. And so we conclude that we're sinners. But guess what? I burp sometimes. But I don't identify myself as a burper. That doesn't define who I am. It's not inevitable, but we do sometimes go wrong. See, being a saint means this. It it doesn't mean that we will never go wrong. What it means is this. We are those who have the capacity to choose not to sin. John said, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We don't have to sin. Sin does not have mastery over us. The relationship that we had with sin before we were Christians is that it had a power and a hold over us that we basically couldn't do anything about. Do you remember the the crown green bowls where people roll those funny balls down and try and get it nearest the jack? And they've got a weight on one side. And when you put the weight on that side and you roll it that way, it bends that way. Before we were saved, we had a bent, a bias towards sin. It had a mastery over us. It was inevitable. But now that we're saints, it's like the bias has been turned the other way around. Now actually our bias is not to sin. We actually get the choice. We are those who can actually make the choice. No, I'm not going to sin. The fact is that we're saints who sometimes sin. That's what we are now. We're saints who sometimes sin. But we don't need to live in a sense of kind of fear that God's anger will fall on us for that sin. Because God's anger has already fallen on Jesus. We're not sinners in the hands of some angry God, but rather we are saints in the hands of a loving God. And therefore when we do sin, rather than being like Adam and hiding from God and trying to lie to God and being ashamed before God, actually because we know there is now no condemnation for us, it means that we can come into God's presence with confidence and boldness and say sorry. A fundamental relationship with god does not change when we sin going wrong does not change who we are in christ that verse goes on to say i write to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have one who speaks to the father in our defense jesus christ the righteous one if i sin i go to god i say god i've sinned i have jesus sitting God's right hand saying, yeah, he did Father, and he's guilty, but I paid the price so you could forgive him. God says, fine, I'll forgive him. That's how it works. Jesus, our eternal destiny is secure. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. That moment we're born again, we became God's child. Nothing, the Bible says, can separate us from his love. My children will always be my children. No matter what they do, they will always have my love. Whether they're Living far away, living close, doing things that I like, doing things that I don't like. Even if they were to do things that meant it wouldn't be good for me to see them, maybe they became a mad axe person and was going to kill me. They would still be my children, I would still love them. And that's how God sees us. It doesn't matter what we do, he's still our father, he still loves us, his heart is always to be loving towards us and to sort things out. But the truth is that what happens happens when we sin and we turn back to God? What happens is we restore that harmony when we turn back to him and away from our sin. When we sin and do something God doesn't want, it does displease him. And that harmony in the relationship is affected. When I upset my wife Jane, which I do um, far more regularly than I should do, I don't become unmarried to her suddenly, but I have displeased her the harmony in the house has been affected. (laughs) And it will not be restored until I say sorry and we talk about it. It's exactly the same with God. So when we do something wrong, what we need to do is come before God and do two things. The first one is we need to agree with him that we were wrong, which is what the Bible calls confession. It just means being honest before God and saying, God, I was wrong and this is why I did it. I did it because I'm a selfish idiot, or whatever it might be. That's real confession, It's not beating around the bush, it's not trying to excuse it, it's saying, God, I was wrong and this is why. Then the second thing to do is to repent, which means we say, God, okay, I was wrong and and I'm sorry for that, and I'm not going to do it again, please help me not to do it again, to turn away from it. That's what the Bible calls repenting. See, God doesn't condemn us. We can always be honest with God, because we know that there is forgiveness there. Could you imagine if we weren't sure whether God would forgive us or not? You wouldn't want to go to God and tell him because you didn't know what he was going to say. Imagine if they didn't, we weren't sure. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says there is now no condemnation. In other words, if we come and we confess and we're honest before God, he will always forgive us. And the Bible, just to make it clear to us, says, Do you know what? And Jesus sits at his right hand just to remind him as if God could forget, which he can't forget because he's God. It's for our benefit so that we will understand we can always come before God and be honest He will always forgive us. We don't have to do seven quiet times in a row. We don't have to be a good boy or girl. If we've done something wrong, we can come straight back into God's presence. We can confess, repent, and be forgiven. And realising and understanding that is one of the big keys to growing in maturity as a Christian. Because what so many Christians do is when they do something wrong, they hide from God. Some hide for days, some hide for weeks, some hide for years. And they go round and they... They just hide away from God, rather than face up before him. See, we don't have to try to become what we already are. We don't have to try to become what we already are. What can you and I do to be more accepted by God? The answer is nothing. You and I are already completely accepted by God, simply because of what Christ has done. And if we don't understand the the grace of God, what we'll do is we will try to become somebody who we already are. We will run around in circles, spiritually, trying to please God in order to become somebody who we already are. And yet it's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that should determine What we do. If you read most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, they divide in half. And the first half explains everything that Jesus has done for us and who we are now in Christ. And then the second half goes on to talk about how we should now live in light of who we are. But often we kind of skip the first half. And what we end up is concentrating those on the second half. We end up with a kind of how-to approach to Christianity. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed not to do. But what we're supposed to do is to immerse ourselves in the wonderful truth of who we are now in Christ. That we've been forgiven, that God loves us, that we now have our identity in him, that he is now our provider. We're supposed to immerse ourselves in that and then out of that, live a life that pleases God. We were never supposed to act like Christians. We were always supposed to be children of God and act according to who we now are. See, praise God, the gospel is not about gradually becoming someone different. It's not that we were old creations and we are slowly, if we are good over the years, becoming new creations until one day, like a McDonald's employee, we have five gold stars and are completely changed. It's not like that. We become somebody completely new and different and clean and righteous and loved and accepted by God the minute we give our lives to Jesus. That's the amazing truth of the Gospel. Bill Johnson says, Many Christians believe enough to get saved, but they don't believe enough to get free.
1: don't believe enough
0: to get free in other words we don't actually believe that we have become completely new completely loved god loves you he delights in you nothing can change that nothing you can do can make him love you more or love you less and if you want to grow as a christian understanding who we now are is absolutely crucial if you want to grow or grow more quickly then We need to simply choose to believe that what God says about us is true. And as we carry on through this course, we're going to learn more about these things and what they mean and how they apply to our lives. And what we'll start to understand is that we don't need to strive any longer for people to accept us. Because Jesus accepts us. And we can have a security in Jesus despite our circumstances changing. And we don't have to worry about where are we going to get our legitimate needs met. Because Jesus will meet them. But maybe the key thing to understand now is that if God says these things are true, then they're true. God is truth. What he says is true. And our responsibility is not to try and make up our own truth or to fit what we think is true into our view of the world our role is to find out what God says is true and then to believe it even if our feelings or circumstances or experience or the devil tries to convince us otherwise knowing and understanding and believing the truth as God states it is absolutely foundation foundational to this course because it's absolutely foundational to our lives. If you want to change how you behave or how you feel, you won't do it by focusing on your behavior or by focusing on your feelings. I'll say that again. If you want to change how you behave or how you feel, you won't do it by focusing on what you do or on how you feel. You have to focus on what you believe you have to focus on what you believe and then over time your behavior and your feelings will follow suit if you want to defend yourself against the devil's accusations and schemes you have to recognize that he is trying to convince you or reinforce a lie that you've believed about yourself or god so you have to know the specific area of truth that relates to that area that he's tormenting about you So if you've been abused by somebody at some point in your life and you do feel dirty, then you have to know that God says that you're not dirty, that you're washed clean. If you don't know that specific truth, then when the devil throws that lie at you, you won't know the right piece of truth to actually say to yourself, no, no, that's a lie. We must know what the truth is. If you want to fight those negative emotions and bad feelings that sometimes overwhelms us, you can't simply think happy thoughts. You have to identify the root of them, that somewhere along the line we had a legitimate need for security, acceptance and significance, and that actually we've been trying to get those from other people, we've been trying to get them from our job, we've been trying to get them from the things that we earn and the things that we own, but that none of those things are where we should be getting them from we should be getting them from Jesus, from who he is and from being in relationship with him. See, this course has the potential to change your life, but only if you're open and honest with yourself and with God. And if you're prepared to learn and apply his truth into your life. There is no magic formula. This is not about teaching that dazzles and entertains. It's not about having a team of people that pray power prayers, power prayers. Power over you, and everything is all right. It's always been what it's always been about, which is children of God understanding that God's truth and God will set them free. Having that powerfully pressed into our hearts by His Holy Spirit brings about freedom and transformation. See, my prayer for you is that this course is not informative, interesting, entertaining, but it is life-changing. But that change will simply be because you've worked with God's Word and God's Spirit and you've lined up your thinking with His truth. And once you do that, you'll find that your behaviour and your feelings begin to change and to follow suit. So the next session, we are going to look at that. We're going to look at choosing to believe the truth, which focuses on that. And we're also going to look at forgiving from the heart. But time is running out for us tonight. But I want to just read to you some things about your Father God. If you want to turn over to page 25. We'll end after this. We won't have time for another discussion. But... Let me just read these through for you. I renounce the lie that my Father God is distant and uninterested in me. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is intimate and involved. I renounce the lie that my Father God is insensitive and uncaring, stern and demanding, passive and cold, absent or too busy for me, impatient, angry, or never satisfied with what I do, mean, cruel, or abusive, trying to take all the fun out of my life. Controlling or manipulative, condemning or unforgiving, nitpicking or um, demanding perfectionist. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is intimate and involved, kind and compassionate, accepting and filled with joy and love, warm and affectionate, always with me and eager to be with me, patient and slow to anger and delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love, loving and gentle and protective trustworthy and wants to give me a full life his good his will is good perfect and acceptable for me full of grace and mercy and gives me freedom to fail tender-hearted and forgiving his heart and arms are always open to me committed to my growth and proud of me as his growing child i am the apple of his eye.